You're listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Hey, Jackie. What up, yo? I feel like we haven't recorded an episode with just the two of us in forever. So I'm very excited about today. Um, it's a it's a good day here at the Inclusive AF podcast. It's a Monday that we're recording. How are you, Jacqueline? I am I am doing all right. I got this new Stanley water cup. Oh, nice and pink. Which Very cute. Like 35 pounds when you put water in it. Um I'm so here. A, a workout, a workout while you hydrate. While you sweat. It you literally sweat trying to carry this heavy water bottle. Yes. And then you cool off and you drink it. Um, but I've been off for the last two weeks from work. As you know, I've been like hiding from everyone because I recently had surgery and I am home. It's my first day back. And apparently I said I was going to come back on the 27th and everybody's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh man, I should have gone back to bed. <laughs> no, we miss you. You can't stay away any longer. Um, well, I'm glad you're here. I want to ask you, um, what is the temperature in Waco, Texas right now? At 3.22 p.m., the temperature in Waco is 104. There is an excessive heat warning. It's 104. What's the temperature in Phoenix right now? At 220, or 1.22, beg your pardon, it's 110 degrees. Uh, with 50% likelihood that there might be rain, but it's also been 50% likelihood of rain for like, I don't know, the past month and a half. So, but yes, we are all, I think the entire, like a hundred percent chance that you're pretty hot. 100%. Yeah. But I will say this, our humidity, I, I mean, our humidity is high for us right now, but it's not like bananas. Um, our humidity is 24%, which for us is like crazy high. What is your humidity in Waco, Texas? I don't even know what the humidity is. I have no idea. I'm, I'll find out. I'll find yeah, out. Yeah, just scroll down. Scroll down on your app on here. Do you want me to look up humidity Waco? Humidity is 23%. How the hell are you lower in Waco than I am in Arizona? <laughs> that makes no sense. Texas is like humid central. Um, the UV index is very, our, high, very high. Now that we've done our time and temperature update... <laughs> remember when you could call that phone number and it would tell you the time yes back yes. back when we were babies on our rotary way phone. before sorry yeah way before <laughs> way before this entire computer in my pocket on a rotary um, phone okay so jackie i want to um i want to talk about a couple of things i want to start with and and again i i know i've said this to you when it's come up I, I want to talk about your medical experience, your recent medical experience. Yeah. Um, and I want to start it off and I, I want to ask this and, and I, I think I'll put a link. I think I sent you one of these in Instagram or TikTok or something. The, uh, the videos of the men being strapped into like an electrode thing where they feel the yes. experience of cramps and, and having your period. Um, I, every time I see one of them, it just, you know, it, on one hand, it causes you to chuckle, but then on the other hand, it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every month, every month. Yes. Um, so tell us a story, Jackie. Well, the thing I was thinking about, I, you know, I, I really did take time off. So it was the first time that I got to like settle and reevaluate everything because as you remember there was so much going on in my life when this hysterectomy thing came up um but what I forgot to say in the narrative is that I went to the doctor or I went to the doctor after I was talking about my pain level and my friend was like like you're, you should go to the doctor but I asked for, to reevaluate PMDD so I've been saying I was diagnosed with PMDD with 15 years ago, which is premenstrual, um, like dysphoria, I think it's called. Okay. Um, and uh, it is beyond PMS. So it's premenstrual dysphoric disorder. 
And so it is extreme mood shifts, like extreme. Yeah. And um, I've had it for a while. And when I went to the doctor, when I told told the doctor or the nurse practitioner at the time that I wanted to continue treatment because my PMDD is getting worse. She said to me, I don't think you have PMDD, even though I had this diagnosis for over 15. And she said, I think you're just in pain. And that's why your PMDD got worse. So there's something there. Like we can start with that. So the first thing when I, because I have been in pain for you know, my doctor's like, you've been in pain for at least five years, but I've been in pain for over 15 years and had this response to what was going on within my body during the time of my period for over 15 years. Nobody else had taken the time to really evaluate what we're talking about. And it was easy to blame it on this. I think they consider it like a mental illness or um, part of it that affects it, at least at the very least your mental health. And and all of the doctors that were OK with that without bringing that up. So the, the answer was, let's look at, at your uterus and, and for them to say, you've been in pain for five years. And then I was like, I don't know what that feel, what that means. I don't know what that means because this is the same pain that, I, that I've had. And then, you know, like I'm in major, major pain and I have been for a long time and everybody's like, oh yeah, that happens. So I don't know what's the right level of pain. And then this was the first doctor that was like, this is bad. Like, this is really bad. And we can do something about that. You don't have to hurt anymore. And they were like, you're supposed to be uncomfortable, but you shouldn't be in pain. And I started thinking back about how many times I have been in a painful situation and didn't receive that care. So I made me look back and do more research and dig in. And they already know that, um, Black people aren't treated for pain in the same way that their white counterparts are in having any, you know, whether it's a broken arm or an abscess in their mouth or whatever it is, are not given that level. And so it's like, even when you look at those people, when you look at the people who are get hooked up to electrodes so they can figure out what, the, what a period feels like, we might not be on that same level. Like this is a level two or this is a level one or this like is a level 10, which could be a level one for me. Mm -hmm. Like I still don't know what that means because I've had to live my life in pain. And I, and then I was like, so, you know, we go through the process um, and I was, and they didn't give me a lot of pain medicine. And I was like, I, so now I keep saying, is this pain? Is this pain? Like, I don't know. Am I in pain? Is this what pain feels like? Is this an acceptable level of pain? Because it is like pain is a warning, a warning because of something that's going on. Just as like a certain smells or your fight, flight or freeze response, all of those things. It's like your body does these things. And I know that there are a lot of black women in particular that have misguided signals of what's tolerable um, and what's not tolerable simply to just survive through the day. And I don't think it was the first time I'm 50 years old, the first time when it's like, well, women have more um, signals. They're talking about having more signals, environmental stressors that can cause um, fibroids. And I'm like, wait, what does that mean? And it's like, oh, wait, racism can cause stress, can cause cancer. What? Then just say that because people have said that forever. And I never knew that's what people are saying. And it's like, it's frustrating and you have that scenario, right? And then I, flash a, I need a 20 second you, please, yeah. if I may. So when you say, just because I want the, the audience to understand, because I have a, a very mild uh, PMS period issue, which I'm able to treat with just evening primrose. Can you share with the audience what the week before and week of are like for, or were like for you? Yeah. So like the week before, like literally driving is unsafe for me. Like I literally want to hurt people. Like children's laughter does not make me smile. <laughs> like <laughs> the week before, um, I hate my husband. I 
don't want to deal with my children, you know, and I have to focus everything on trying to keep pain at bay and focusing on what's really important. And those are the only things I can do. And then the week of the first three days, two to three days is with a heating pad, even if it was 110 degrees outside. Um, most of the time I would stay in bed during those times, at least part of the day um, being in bed. And then also being in so much pain that my body gives out. So it'd be like going to bed, like at nine o'clock at night. Um, and then, so I, that, that regimen has been over 10 years, over 10 and, years. And, and so I want to, I, I call that out because I want folks to understand, and this is, again, it goes back to the difference in medical uh, support. Right. That if I was in that much pain for basically two weeks out of the month, every single month for 10 years. Right. That, that wouldn't happen. Cause I, you know, I, 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 no doctor would allow that to happen if I went right. in and said, this is how much pain I'm in. Well, and, but I also find it interesting, like the things that the reason we have so many outbursts, you've been seeing in the news, so many outbursts for white women, right? Because that's painful for them, which is hilarious, right? Like you being in my neighborhood hurts me. And so I'm going to act out and say something. And it's like, nobody even did anything to you. Like people, you're seeing people's tolerance level because of like people filming people. And I, I pick on white women specifically because that's what I see all the time of like, oh, I'm a victim. And it turns into like an argument and then it turns into tears and it's all these things. And it's like a level of tolerance that, that you're just not willing to accept. So I have no idea how much pain, if people are used to living life without pain, then like a headache might hurt, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't, right. know. I don't know what that's like. I've right. never done that. I've never had that. Quick sidebar. I don't know what that means. Have you seen any of these videos of the gentleman who is fishing in his neighborhood? And yes. he literally is recording every time someone comes over to ask him what he's doing in his neighborhood and it, it is literally like he has like seven or eight videos from one day that you know either some white woman or the police or whomever is stopping to say like do you really live here do, can I see your ID and, and get your address but right. yeah speaking of white woman tears um right. It, right so like pain your tolerance or threshold of pain is a complete, like, it's a, not on the same scale as. Well, it's pain. not, it is. It's just that you haven't been forced to that level. Black women don't have a higher pain threshold. It's, I have to take care of my children and I can't let this get in the way of me moving forward. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's a better. Yes. Because yeah, it's not, I can tolerate this more. It's, I am forced to tolerate it and I can't right. just sit here. There was something and it was like, because they were like between behind every good woman is a, you know, they've been trying to be cute lately is that fluffy cat or something stupid or whatever they're trying to be cute, like behind every great woman, you know, is a man or a best friend, you know, they've been trying to make those shirts and stuff. But then there's some one yeah. where it got to be real where it's like beh behind every strong woman, it was a time where they didn't have a choice. Like you didn't have a choice. Right. And I think that's a, a lot with all women. We were simply in this, we were looking at, there's a documentary. I don't know if you have Discovery Plus. I do. And I won't tell anybody why, but I do have Discovery I do too. Plus. I do too. And, <laughs> and on Discovery Plus, they have the documentary about Viagra. Right. And one of the things that they were talking about that was so important they were talking about how it you know impotency for men was like ruining marriages and having such a stronghold and this is a really a health issue and then when we me and Todd were watching it I was like it's a health issue because people weren't taught that you know sex in a in a marriage is between you know cisgender white you know male and a cisgender female and they all revolves around somebody's penis and there is no other lovemaking in that space. Mm -hmm. 
And they were like, that's why there's, is there any medicine for women? No. No. Because the research isn't there. Because it turns out with women, it's not just a body part, is what was said. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, well, maybe one day, but this should cure it for every. No. And, And it's just like, where is the focus? Is following what the focus is? And what's frustrating is like, when I look at healthcare and then you flash forward to like, oh, do we need to have DEI training? And and it makes me think part of the reason we have to is because we can look at the exact same thing and we're seeing it in two completely different ways. And I think like when we talk about like the movie Nope or the movie Get Out was very clear, like you as a white woman audience will see it different than me as a black woman audience. Mm -hmm. If you're just chilling watching a movie, if you don't, if you're not thoughtful about it. Um, but that's what happens just in life. Just walking down the street of what you feel as a threat. And part of it is trying to reduce the noise of feeling, of having a reaction of things that, perceiving things as a threat that aren't a threat. How much do you understand the future of finance. I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. So the pain that you were forced to tolerate, yeah, at, like you you mentioned fight flight or uh, fight or flight response, and it, it is. Like you were in constant trauma, head trauma because of that. And to your point, how does that distract from your everyday interactions with humans to be going through that? I'm telling you, it was the funniest thing because, you know, my executive producer, like, I would like, just take a bowl out of my hand. I was like, oh my gosh, so annoying, whatever. And I just sat there and I was like, I'm not even mad about it. Like, that is something that would be, like, it's something that's really small that would be a full trigger. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I need my life to go in a certain way. I can't get off task because I don't have the energy to deal with all of those other things that are getting into the way. And living a life in pain. And they were like, you know, I, and even my sister was like, I wonder what your life is going to be like with you not being in pain. Like, what's going to happen? Who are you without that? Right. Like, what if I, like, stop buying purses and stuff? Like, what if I was looking at that to make me feel better? And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, no. I'm good. I have all the purses I need. What if I, that, well, that's extreme. Uh Uh-huh. I just did it. I just fixed it for you. I just fixed it. (laughs) Yeah, all that I need? Well, no. Well. You know. Um. um, And it's funny. I remember back when I was in my twenties and it was prior to taking evening primrose for like my PMS um, and ladies that have PMS and other issues, uh, talk to your doctor about evening primrose because it is a godsend, I think. But um, for me, I remember, and, and the person that I'm talking about will probably remember this. If I brought it up to him, I was on sales calls with Uh, one of my colleagues, we were in the car, I was driving, he was sitting in the passenger seat. And I remember like envisioning grabbing his head and slamming it into the window (laughs) on the side of the car, because I was so angry with, and it was like, like, Hey, turn left up here, not right. And I was so mad. And it was like, Oh my goodness. Like, this is not appropriate. Okay. Like what is going on? And it was very soon after that I like talked to my doctor and was like, so this happened. So what, what, what does this mean? Um, and they recommended starting there and then, you know, taking it to something further if I needed to, that seemed to cure most of it. But I think that's a piece. Well, 
Go. I, I, the reason I, I talk about that is that I am on like an anti-depression medication and then that got increased. I don't know what that would happen to even have an impact right now of reducing it. I don't know. I'm at this point dependent on certain medications to regulate my well-being and, and probably never needed them. Like for all I know, if you think about it, for all I know with this happening, my blood pressure can even out. I don't need all these antidepressants. I don't need anti-anxiety. All of it was traced from that. Like I, if that happened, I don't know. I would, I think I would turn into a puddle on the floor. Like, I don't know what that would mean. That's just right. been part of my life for so long. I would probably start taking like, I would take pills out of habit. I would have to count them every day because I know what right. I what I'm on out of habit because I've been doing it for over 20 years. And do you think it's a situation where, like, do you think that the, and you know, this is just you personally, this is not a medical uh, diagnosis. Yeah, certainly not. Do you feel like for you that that could have been a possibility that you were on some of these other medications because of the pain that you were in all the time that because you're in so much pain, you were, you know, focused on that, or that took so much of your brain power that dealing with some of these other things, you just literally couldn't and had to be on something to help alleviate some of that stuff. Absolutely. I, I, I think because I know like when I needed to get a root canal, then my high blood, my, I was triggered by my blood pressure that something was going on in my body. My blood pressure started spiking up. And I was like, well, there's something else going on because that's happened before. Um, and I also realized that I need to find, you know, places where um, to be quiet and to like think internally of, of trying to regulate what's going on and try like an evening primrose first. I, I don't think people recognize like if you go in and you have high blood pressure, the first thing your doctor wants to do is give you high blood pressure medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, at least for me, and it might not be like that, but it's like, there's all these different medications. And so it's like, I'm treating the symptom without trying to look for the underlying cause. So I have no idea, but I know that I've been in pain for a very long time. This is the second time that I've had something that was surgically, uh, you know, can be fixed through surgery. And that was something that was extreme pain that had a reaction on my body. The thing that made me the most upset was because, and this is where, you know, I am not doing this for the podcast. It's because I am do DEIB all day long. Like I, it's just a part of my life, but it goes back to saying the same thing where I'm saying I'm in pain. Um, at, Cause I started my period. And then somebody else is like, Oh yeah, me too. I just started my period. We are not talking about the same thing. Mm -mm. Right. I, I, if you like an example, I always um, would kid that my oldest clay had colic. And then someone would say, oh, I think my kid has colic. And I would say, have you ever fantasized about driving to a rest stop and just leaving like the baby carrier there? Like you would do a U-turn and come back, but you just thought, I'm just going to leave this baby like in the buggy at the Safeway. And when they call 911, I will come right back. They were like, no. I was like, then your kid doesn't have colic. Trust me. <laughs> Right. If you ever felt like leaving the child and just going out and going somewhere and coming back because it's so extreme. But people say, oh, well, my baby's fussy. No, a fussy baby is a colic. And so what I was having, I was taught to think as being menstrual cramps, but that's not what that was. But right. you, 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 we are told that we're all having the same experiences. So either my doctor was a man who's never had this and has heard all of these various things. Or as someone who had a period, he was basing my experience on them. Now, the reason I bring that back to like DIB work is that how many times did someone say, like, I'm having a problem with my boss? And then you automatically think, oh, well, maybe they're not getting along without ever thinking about maybe you're being actually like literally berated, discriminated against, sexually harassed, like you are being threatened or blackmailed. Like, you the assumption is oh you know from an hr perspective like i already know what this is 
and I can help you. Well, you know, write it down. Like, let's not get too extreme without really listening because it's like, it's not safe or they're already at some other level or, well, it looks like you've had some problems and this person hasn't been able to work well with you. Now you're afraid of losing your job. So then how much pain will you take in order to take care of your family? How much pain will you take in order to keep your house? Right. And then the person that you reached out to that are supposed to be there to help at work. Didn't. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, so I'm going to answer that. And then I want to go back to the blood pressure medication you know, I think this is one of those things that as HR folks, and and not even just as, I think human nature is when someone tells you a story, you want to relate to it. So you do think about, well, have I had a similar experience or do, you know, do I know what this person is going through? And to your point, the assumption is whatever you went through is similar to what I went through, but that's not the case in so many of these issues. And, you know, I, I, I think all of us as women of a certain age can tell, you know, or can talk about stories of bosses that said inappropriate things or that put you in uncomfortable situations or whatever it might've been, colleagues, whatever. Um, but at the same time, when someone comes to you and tells a story, your brain goes to, oh, I have dealt with this and this is what I would want to have done. And so you think you're doing the right thing but you're jumping 10 steps ahead versus saying, say more words. And, you know, doing that as when I was at Target, we called it a seek to understand conversation of just, mm-hmm. I'm just going to listen and I'm just going right. to hear what you have to say. And I think that's such a piece of, you know, we're, I think you and I both are on this uh, a Facebook group and there's a lot of different questions that come up and pretty much every single one of them, I want to respond and say, did you just talk to the person and like have a conversation right. before you're making all of these assumptions about what their intentions were, why they did such a thing, yada, yada, yada. And it just is always very odd to me that people don't, don't just sit back and ask questions and say, say more words and let me understand more about this. Do you I think-, think you like, go ahead. No, you go. I wanted to to offer something that I started doing in my training classes that I think it would be beneficial um, and you can do it anywhere. Uh, What the the exercise is, is you break into groups of two and you ask a group question and person one is going to answer the question and person two is going to listen and all they can respond is say, thank you. And you're going to do it for five minutes. And the person has to keep answering the question over and over and over again, but the other person can only say thank you for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was interesting, it's always interesting to get the feedback from doing that exercise where when the person doesn't feel the pressure to say something or the pressure to try to sound like people call it active listening, and they knew they were just going to say thank you, that they actually freed themselves up to listen. And the other person is like, when I knew that the person wasn't going to interrupt me or wasn't going to ask any questions, I felt like, one, I needed to clarify more about what was going on. Um, But then when I heard myself, I realized I might not ask, I might not answer it the right way the first time. That's a really fast answer. I might need more time or I didn't feel confident because I didn't get that feedback. Like, you know, you go, you go back and forth. And one of the things that we, um, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we've both said this piece where part of the listening job that you have to do in these roles is accepting someone's truth and then building on that instead of trying to prove someone wrong, accept Mm -hmm. it as true. And that should be the baseline. When somebody says, I feel like I'm being harassed in my mind, I'm like, okay, you're being harassed. Let's expand on that. We're yeah. going to treat it like that because that's the feeling that you're having. So we're going to open a case and we're going to deal with it just like that. I know there are people who hate that and it's a pain and it's going to cause me more work, but people need to understand how important the language is and what that means. If you tell me that, that I'm going to react in that way um, and take these, take your situation seriously. And I think that have an understanding of it's so important to get to know the people that are on your team, but also just to know the world around you, to know that 
even if I mean, people get empathy wrong, even if I think you and I both can talk about menstrual cramps, I still have to acknowledge that it's 120 degrees where you are. Mm-hmm. So we aren't feeling the same things right now. Or it's 120 degrees and you have two freaking dogs that you have to walk. Or, mm-hmm. you know, like we don't give people room to have these experiences. We make all of these assumptions and then make decisions based on these assumptions that are oftentimes wrong. Absolutely. And I would say the other part of that exercise that I feel like comes up every single time I've done it is the person that is speaking at the end of it. It's the, God, that's the first time I felt listened to right? ever. Like I've heard ever I've heard in the last six months, I've heard a lot of different, like this, you know, this is the first time I've been heard or listened to. And, and then that also like, it, it is sad because we are in such a reactive place of let me fix it. Let me, you know, let me make, let me jump to step 10 because I know where they're going to go. And you're like, but maybe you don't like, and yes, the assumption of truth. I think that is, you know, it's a default we all need to have, but I also think there's so much bias in that assumption because we assume the truth from certain people. That's right. Other people, we go, oh, did they, did that really? And I, I mean, I, we can say women, we can say people of color, we can say people in different socioeconomic situations. We, I mean, the, every single piece to the puzzle, like, you know, it's the, like right now, obviously the trans community is under a ton of stress. And when you ask about like the why it's, oh, they're, you know, they're trying to tr- shove this down our throats. They're trying to do this. And you talk to trans people, they're like, we're just trying to live our lives. That's right. And be safe. Like there is no, I'm going to try like, A, that's not how it works, but there's no, I'm going to turn someone into something. And it just is so like, again, that, that the assumption is there's something wrong or bad about what they're doing versus the assumption of truth, the assumption of good, the assumption of, you know, whatever we, you know, we can create a list. So I think that's the other piece that people miss. Um, do you think, so the high blood pressure medication, so you and I have talked about this a little bit, and I'm going to ask this question. Do you think that you were given the high blood pressure medication as just a, oh, Hey, black people are known to have high blood pressure or there's historical context or a history of people that are people of color, not, not even people, black people having issues with high blood pressure. So let's just put, put her on that and that'll shut her up or whatever you want to say. I, I think it was part of it. I did have one doctor that was like, you don't have to have a high blood pressure once. And I, it was way when I was really young. Um, but I think it's why people stop at high blood pressure medicine instead of trying to figure out why I had high blood pressure. Right. And then just trying to adjust it. And even I have a new doctor more recently. And it was so funny because he was like, and I was excited about my blood pressure and it was only elevated a little bit. And he was so angry that my, he was like, why is your blood pressure? this?" And I was like, I don't know. He was like, why don't you know? I was like, I don't know why I don't know. Right. I was like, we're going to work on that. And not every doctor takes that place. I mean, one of the things that I did while I was healing because I don't like to relax was watch 24 hour A&E, which is like ER room in the UK. Um, and like the people in the UK, because of the health system, I, thought, I found it fascinating that two people would be at a club and somebody fell down and they went to the freaking ER together because they should see a doctor because they twisted their ankle. And I'd be like, that's nobody would do that in the US. And then the doctor being like, okay, we're going to get a CT scan, a CAT scan, an MRI, you know, an x-ray, and here's some pain medicine while you're waiting. And I'm like, what's happening? And it's because in the UK, in Europe, and with the social health care, 
they get incentivized for people feeling better and not coming back. They're trying to make people here. Whereas within the United States, that's not how people are incentivized. It's about medication and keeping people coming back. That's how they're making their, their, their money. Um, and so it is knowing that it is probably easier to give, give medication to cover it up than it would be to go through all of the various things that could be happening that's causing the high blood pressure. And I think that's what we do with our seniors as well. Um, knowing that my mother going through Parkinson's couldn't communicate, all of a sudden gets, you know, a wound. Or my my mother was um, hospitalized for at least, what what was it, like five or seven years maybe, and had COVID three times. Like, how is that possible, right? And it's like, people just like made it like it wasn't that big of a deal. And they're treated so, you know, we don't treat people appropriately. People that are older still have that same stigma where we're not looking at why is this happening and what can we do to cure these things? And I'm not saying all doctors. I just think that it's, I think that it's another group where people stop giving true care and start giving just medication or trying to, um, like, you know, you don't, you, you don't know. I, I, it was interesting. I, I know, and I don't know if you had this, a similar situation, but like my grandfather, I remember him, he came home from the hospital. He was in the ER. We went to go visit him. He's 93 years old. He comes home and he says, well, they tell me they can't do anything. So I guess I'm just going to sit here waiting to die. He died three weeks later. They didn't want to do the surgery on him because he was going to die. So he said, he said, I, I guess I'm just going to sit here and wait to die. And then he said, I hope they don't have the fish because that'll make me die quicker. This is what my grandfather said. Yeah. Um, but it was like, well, if he died three weeks later, why wouldn't you just do the surgery and see if it would work? Right. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right. Like, oh, because now we're spending the government's money and we're going to get in trouble for all of these different things because you are of a, cer a certain age and it doesn't matter. I mean, we know that my mother died of complications of Parkinson's, but she really starved to death. And there's no reason for someone to have us to starve to death. But you know that they're not going to have the quality of life. We think. And so it's it's having that understanding, trying to go just one click further of trying to make, I think that we all have various situations and I think life can be, you know, it's so, we're so blessed that we're here and we can have this conversation and that if we can just, you don't have to tick it up very much to be caring of other people and to try literally to see it from all angles, from somebody else's angle which means being fully engaged in the other person to understand what they're going through, because what they're going through isn't the same as yours. Like I remember a friend saying, I, I have to go to my husband's work. We're going on a road trip. And me and my friend immediately were like, we need to meet, like what is happening to your family? Like for, I know there's people that couldn't have done a road trip or whatever, couldn't have taken the time off, but we knew that was tragic in that person's life. And there's so many people that just poo-poo people and then their situations and they don't get treated. And I, and I am, and I think I said this before, I just worry. And I always think that every time that I come out of these situations, I'm just like, I don't know what's going to happen the next time I go to a hospital or the next time I go to a doctor or how to trust a doctor to be able to give me the care. I don't know how, I don't know how to do that. Right. And, and I, I, I want to just expand a little bit on something that you said 
you know, we're in a, a country that it is all about that transactional medical service and it is big pharma and it is the insurance companies that are truly ruling our, the way that we receive care. And it's all about how many people can you get through the door? How quickly can you see them? How quickly can you write a prescription? All these things versus taking the time. I just recently got a new nurse practitioner and she sat with me for 30 minutes and, and, and it was like awkward almost because I was like, this is, I've never experienced this before that someone sat and just talked about like, okay, well, let's talk about this part of what's going on with your care and, and why are you doing this? And you know, how long have you been doing that? And not in an accusatory way, but just in a very curious, like, I want to know what's going on with you holistically so we can have good discussions about longer term care or what might be needed versus, you know, normally you go in and it's okay. You just need me to re renew all of your prescriptions. Great. Awesome. Bye. And it just, it, it. So like that, that's not to defend the medical community. Cause I think there are definitely some not great practices there, but I'd also say part of it is they're not educated to, to, to make those distinctions. And we know historically that a lot of the research, a lot of the um, different testing that has been done has been on white males or white people. And, and so I think that's part of it as well, is that there is such a lack of understanding of how different bodies, different groups react to, I mean, like, I, I, I know we've talked about this book before, um, Criado Perez, I'm going to forget her name. Um, but she talks about just some of the medical things that, you know, the way that a woman reacts to certain medications versus a man, the way that a white person versus a person of color reacts to certain medications um, and that it just is the research isn't there. And, and that's one of those things that like you, you just uh, it's Carolyn, Carolyn Criado uh, Perez. Mm -hmm. um, and like the invisible woman is, or women is one of her first books. She's written a few others since then. Um, but she like her, the way she thinks about some of these things and the way that she is approaching this research, it's amazing because it's stuff that people haven't questioned before or asked, well, is there a difference if it's a woman versus a man and not just dosage, but right. Like when women are having heart attacks, they have very different symptoms than a man having a heart attack. And, you know, our, our, our medical students um, being, trained in such a way that they actually know what to look for, what to see, what to question, all of those things. So, um, so anyways. No, I, I feel like it's so important. I mean, taught one of the things that they did, they put the oxygen thing on my finger and my husband was like, are you going to be using that during the surgery? Cause they don't work on black people. So like, how are you going, what are you going to do about mm -hmm. that? And they were like, what are you talking about? And we were like explaining like that isn't going to be an accurate read of my oxygen saturation. Right. And I they would don't like know what I'm talking accurate, about, please. Yeah, they have no idea what I'm talking about. They don't have any different ones. There's nothing they can do. And I'm about to be put out to get a surgery. And that's just what I have to deal with. And that can't be the only thing that's like that. Well, and. Also, had Todd not said something, or if someone doesn't know that that's the case, then, you know, what, what danger is there to that person that's being put under that isn't, you know, isn't being regulated the right way or given the right um, anesthesia or whatever it might be, like what happens then. But so as you think about kind of your, your journey, you know, this, obviously this is not the end of your journey with all of this stuff, but do you feel like you made the right decision on doing the surgery? Yeah, I think I made the right decision. I probably should have done it a long time ago. Um, and I just want to pay more attention. I, I have to have um, a reevaluation of what pain is. And I feel like 
there's probably a lot of black women that have to have that of under having that understanding um, of what pain is and also what rest is. I mean, I, I was in the bed. I literally, we went out to dinner last night. It was the first time besides one time when I went to target that I left the house. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, I'm going to take this time to heal. Uh, And it's, it's just, again, making sure that you're doing the, doing the right thing. I'm going to, I'm going to pay more attention to that. Um, and try to learn how to advocate for myself more because now at this point, you know, now it's 50 and older and listen, people all the time. I remember like my mom and my dad, they have like unknown bruises. They have no idea. And it could be something major. Like it's the same thing. Like, oh, my mother-in-law just got her knee replaced and then she's got rheumatoid arthritis. So she got an infection and then they had to do it again. And then they had to do it again. So it's like, was that knee pain or not knee pain? Because no. like this one lady was like, I'm not get don't get your knee replaced unless your leg's about to fall off. Because there's so many things that could go wrong. But you're taught like that's just a normal surgery, yeah. getting a hip replace. All of those things are normal surgery. So that's the bias that people are going in with. And you say, Oh, my knee hurts, and you're, you know, over 50, then you should just get it replaced. Right. It's, it's been interesting because there's been a couple of medical things within my family recently that, um, that has me questioning as well, like some of the tests, some of the things and, and looking at not just the medical field, but also like you just said that self-advocacy that let me go find out all of the treatments. Let me go do my own research. Um, and by research, I don't mean go read on Facebook. I mean, like actually look at medical journals, look at people that do this work, not just randomly Joe Schmo on TikTok. Cause I think that's the other part. Like I, I, I've been cracking up because I've seen quite a few folks on TikTok that are talking about certain, uh, weight loss medications and certain things like that. And they have scrubs on, but you're like, well, but are you a doctor or are you just, I can just scrubs? buy some scrubs. Right. And then I'm going to tell you all about the things that I know. Cause I know all the things, you know, and you're like, huh, interesting. But again, this is part of the misinformation that we all have to dig through to get to reality. But anyways, um, okay. what, what, what else would you like to say on this topic? Like what else would be helpful for folks? No, um, I think that's the big piece and I just feel like um if you don't feel satisfied with the response like your body isn't supposed to hurt mm-hmm. if it does hurt get to the bottom of why it's hurting and see if there's something there it could be like there's nothing that can happen outside of surgery or maybe you need to lose weight or maybe you need to stretch more all of those things but find out because it's a sign of something else that's going on that's just the biggest piece and so um don't feel bad for making people do their actual job right uh, helping to find that out i think it's just a big piece and, you know i remember just as a a student athlete you know years and years ago and like the recovery days it was you can be sore but if you're in pain something's wrong you know like so there's a difference between being sore from a workout or from a whatever versus being in pain and yeah like asking the questions digging in on it and finding out what is really going on like how critical that actually is for folks so jackie what's one thing you want to make sure our our folks have heard from this episode um uh listen to people like i think it's just like check your bias when you're going into situations and especially like you can help somebody else who comes to you and telling you that you're in pain. I mean, the only reason I went, I was like, it's a fun party trick of people over the age of 40, which is what's your ailment like at parties. Yep. <laughs> um, but uh, just to make sure and, and support and, and get people to challenge that as well and to get the help that they need. And I, and I think sometimes it just takes another push from someone else. So that's what I think I want people to know to advocate for yourself. But as you're listening to your people, don't assume you know what the pain is or that somebody else talks about. Try mm-hmm. to help. Right. I I I think for me, like it is the listen, but it's also 
if someone tells you a story about their pain or if someone tells you about what they might be going through, ask more questions too. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you and I did at the very beginning of this talk about, you know, our PMS and, and our periods and how, you know, they were painful. And this is, and I remember telling you like, Hey, just take evening primos and you'll be fine. <laughs> no, like it's not the same. It wasn't the same right. even a little bit. And so like, I think that's part of it too, is that, you know, the pain is not the same across the board for everyone. Um, and then I, I'm going to echo the other part, like rest. So, you know, for those of you who are not following like the nap ministry and some of these others that are really focused on people of color, especially women of color, not being always the one that has to fix all of the things, like take the time you need to rest, to relax, to recharge. Um, you know, I think this, these fights, these conversations, this work has been laid at the feet of black women for so long. And it's time that other people get involved in this fight and get involved in these conversations and get involved in this work. And so let black women rest. Yeah, do that. Is that cool? Is that a good one? I like it. Okay. All right, folks. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for listening to the Inclusive AF podcast. Uh, we have so many other topics that we need to go into Jackie Clayton. Uh, so I, I know, right. Or again, this week at some point. Um, but thank you all so much for listening. This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. Bye. Bye. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.